The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. You're doing well. We are at the starting line of a brand new book uh, this morning, the book of Amos. And um, if you have your Bibles, you can find your place with me there. Uh, but listen, a uh, few things before we get into this book. Um, here at Stone Oak, we preach through books of the Bible. We love this. We celebrate this. It's a lot of fun. And um, we enjoy walking through. But I, I will say this, that our hope is to provide a bit of a balanced diet. Uh, what I mean by that is, is, hopefully, as you spend time with us, we're going to walk through New Testament epistles. Uh, we're going to walk through writings and poetry and psalms and Old Testament history and gospels and major and minor prophets. We hope that we, um, we spend time with a, a well-rounded diet here at Stone Oak. And um, the fact is that we, and, and I think it's important we say this at the beginning of every book we start. We believe that this is the word of God and our authority. We believe all of it. We believe that all of it, un the truth about our God, the truth of our God, the truth about us, and the grand story of redemption unfolding through Jesus Christ. And that all of it, we believe all of it, we preach all of it, and we believe all of it is profitable for us. And so today, we stand at the starting line of a book called Amos one that I have had many conversations with you guys this week, with many of you, and I know it's not one of the most familiar books that we could have chosen, and I love that. And so we stand um, at the beginning of this book, the minor prophet Amos. I want to give you one important note before we get started on the way we are going to handle Amos. So we preach through books. We, we, as I said, I love, I love that. We are going to be in Amos for a long time actually between now and all the way up to almost Christmas, Advent season. We're going to be journeying through this book. Um, but here's the thing. Our pace is going to vary as we go through this book. This is important for us to know up front. Um, as I said, we preach the books of the Bible. That means that the message and content is dictated by the text. Praise God for that. Um, but it's not just that, because we also want our pace to be dictated by the text that we preach. Good example of this is that we went through Romans. It took us over two and a half years. We went through it little by little, little chunk, little verse here, little verse. We walked through it very slowly. But that's not how we did Psalms, is it? Um, each week, we didn't take one verse of a Psalm. We took the whole Psalm. Why is that? Because that's the way you preach a Psalm. It's, it's a whole unit, all right? Um, and so the reason I say this is because what we preach is going to dictate our pace, and Amos is a weird one. It's going to cause us to vary in our pace a little bit. And the reason I say this is because this morning, we are going to cover the first two chapters of Amos. And you hear that, and you're like, it's only going to take us a few weeks, and we're going to be done. No, it won't. Um, we're not going to break up the first two chapters. Hopefully, you are going to see why that is this morning. But as you're going to notice, even as we get to next week, our pace is going to drastically shift as we go through this book. So I just um, ask for your patience. Don't worry. We are going to cover two chapters, but I think we can do it this morning. Um, and I am so excited 
for what God has for us. I want us to kind of buckle up and get ready. And as we start in, before we read a, a word of it, I'd like for us to just come together in prayer for our time. Lord, we come to you at the uh, starting line of a, of a book in Scripture that, oh, your word is so good. And um, I am thankful for this book. I am thankful for where you are taking us in this book. And I just pray right now that you would go before us in here, that you would prepare us, prepare our hearts, give us open eyes, open ears as we walk through this incredible book together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So as we get into a book, a new book, it's, it's always important to lay out a little bit of context. I am not going to spend time, a lot of time with context because we just don't have that amount of time here this, this morning. Um, there's a lot of resources that give historical details, but here's the deal. I want to highlight a few things that are very important for us just to set the tone historically for us in this book, and it all comes out of the first verse, okay? So if you have your Bibles, Amos 1.1, Amos 1.1 says this, the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash king of Israel two years before the earthquake. Okay, I want to pull out a few important contextual things before we get going, all right? The first one is this. Amos, the unlikely prophet. What I mean by this, um, we know very little about Amos historically, and that is for very good reason, because Amos was not a prince. He was not a ruler, he was not a king, he was not a high-ranking person in his community, he was not important, wealthy, none of that. Amos was a common shepherd, a dirty, grimy, common shepherd. That was Amos. And, and notice, though, it's not only that he was a shepherd, but he was a shepherd of Tekoa. Now, um, any of you heard of Tekoa? No. Good reason for that. It's a no-name town. Very small. No-name town. Um, so you have this no-name man from a no-name small town. Amos was an unlikely prophet. Unlikely prophet. One thing, God tends to use unlikely people. Um, whether it be in Scripture or in life, we see this often that God tends to use the weak, the unlikely, the, the, the humble, and he chooses to humble the proud and the strong and the ones who think we've got it together. So God calls this unlikely man, Amos, to be his mouthpiece, to deliver his message, just like stuttering Moses to deliver the people of Israel, just like little David to be the king of over his people. Just like, um, well, if we think about it, just like the unlikely baby born in an unlikely other small town, unlikely circumstances, God, our God uses the unlikely. Amen. And here we have another example of Amos, the unlikely prophet. Second bit of historical context here, Amos, the minor prophet. Minor prophet. Um, our text says that these are the words which he saw, meaning not his words, 
God's words, God chose him to deliver his message. That's what a prophet is. We're going to see in our text this morning and all throughout Amos, thus says the Lord, declares the Lord. Strong language, because it's not Amos' words. It's the word of God through Amos. That's what a prophet is. But notice he's not just a prophet, he's a minor prophet. Um, Warning, I'm going to make two baseball references this morning, okay? Um, Two of them, and uh, they're awesome. I'm just telling you, baseball's great. I love baseball, and I'm going to make two references, and I'm going to get one of them right out of the way up front. It is important to know when you see this terminology, you don't think of baseball, the way baseball uses minor terms, like major and minor league. Um, In God's word, God doesn't have like the major league prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, (laughs) the minor league prophets, Obadiah, and... Joel and all of them. Um, the word minor and major means one thing and one thing only. It refers to one thing, and that is length. Okay? When you see major, they use more words. <laughs> minor, shorter. Major, longer, longer-winded. Minor prophets, shorter. Does not indicate their authority or anything like that. They are prophets. Some of them are shorter-winded. Amos is one of the shorter-winded prophets. That's, that is it. So Amos, just like all the prophets, called by God to deliver his message to a specific people. So unlikely prophet, minor prophet. One more very important thing before we get started in past the first verse is the outsider prophet. This is, this is really important. If you look back at the words, you have the words of Amos who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel. Um, Amos was a southern boy from the southern kingdom delivering a message to the northern kingdom. Now, um, I I have this map. We're going to look at it a bit more um, later. Uh, But if you look at this map, you have Israel here, all of that, Tekoa here. Notice the border. Um, my point here is this. Amos is not Israel. Amos was an outsider bringing a very heavy message to, to the northern kingdom. So you have this unlikely outsider chosen by God to be his man, to deliver his message. That was the prophet Amos. One more thing here as we finish out verse 1. I promise we'll move faster. Um, as we finish out verse 1, notice the, the final words here. In the days of Uzziah, of, uh, king of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, we have this time stamp, okay? Um, now, we don't know the exact date, like he wrote this on November 17th on a Thursday. We don't know that, but we do know approximately he's writing about 750 B.C. Now, um, I know that date doesn't mean anything to you. It's a long time ago, all right? That's okay. I forgive you for that, for not knowing that. Um, But here's, there is something very important to know about that, just as we set the stage for what he's about to do. This was not a time of war or conflict. This was not a time of instability or poverty or captivity or destruction. In fact, this particular time in history, in the people's history, was a time of relative stability and prosperity. This was a, this was a time, um, don't hear me wrong, it's not that everyone was like, everything is awesome, it's not that, like, 
there were still hurting people, still conquest, war still happening, conflict, yes. But as a whole, there was stability in the kingdom when Amos was dropping this message, okay? And, and I think about it a lot like um, America over the past several, several decades. So when I say this, there's obviously been conflict in the world. There's obviously been turmoil, economic ups and downs. But, but listen, by and large, historically, as you put in perspective, by and large, we have seen a great deal of stability by the grace of God. We have. We haven't had large armies at, you know, threatening our borders or conquering us, our economy, government. There's been a certain level of stability and, and prominence on the world scene. Now, you might hear that and say, you don't know. This is Okay, just follow me here. Historically, we have seen a time of relative stability. And the reason I use this example is because I want to show you that even for the people of Israel getting this message, when I say wealthy and prosperous and st stable, it doesn't mean everyone was, you know, millionaires. It just means that there was relatively fewer conflicts than every other time before and after um, in, this, in this kingdom. And so because of this, we think, or at least I do, I'll coin this, as Amos is a good time prophet. There's few of those. Some are bad time prophets. Amos is a good time prophet. He's prophesying in the good time. Stability for Israel. And, and as we're going to see, it's going to be important for us to remember that fact as we see the words that Amos is about to give to his people who are in a good time. Now, I said we're going to cover two chapters. We are here and uh, minutes in, and we are in one verse. I promise, don't worry. Um, I, I do. Um, we're going to move. So verse 2, um, we see Amos now uh, in verse 2 setting the stage, saying, the Lord is speaking, thundering. Get ready. Right? Setting the stage. Buckle up. And then verse 3 starts into somewhat of a repetitive session, uh, section of Scripture where Amos divvies out judgments. Where Amos here begins to issue out, deal out the judgments that God is giving. In total, there are eight nations represented on, this, on the pages of, of Amos 1 and 2. Um, and eight peoples that God is going to speak directly to. First, we have the first three. We have Damascus, Gaza, and Tyre. Damascus, those Syrians, and Gaza, the Philistines, and Tyre. These are the neighboring nations of Israel. And you have to imagine that as the people hear this from Amos, they say, yes and amen. Right? You have to imagine... He starts out good. I mean, bring the heat, God. They're heathens. They don't know you. They're a threat to your people. Bring the heat. Bring the judgment. Yes and amen. They start there. But then the next three come. The next three, Edom, the Ammonites, and Moab. Again, other neighbors. I'll show you a map here in a bit. But these are a little closer. These are somewhat relatives. They can trace their lineage. And so this is, this is a little closer to the home. But you know what? Still yes and amen for Israel, right? 
You look at this, and it's like, you know, they don't know God the way we do. They don't have our law, the history. They're a threat to your chosen people. They deserve the judgment. God, bring the heat again. Amen. Blessed be your name. And then the seventh comes. Judah. This one hurt. This one's real close. Because if Amos can say this about Judah, you get, a, you get a feeling that they knew something else was coming. Judah, this is very close, people of God. But you know, um, even in this, I'm sure there was some hope that God would stop here. But I think they knew he wasn't going to. Let's look at our map. Um, forgive me if this is clanky. It's hard to find a good readable map, surprisingly. But here we have this. So we have Damascus, people number one. We have Gaza, people number two. Tyre, people number three. I want you to see something here with me, because then we have Edom. We have Ammon and the, the Ammonites. We have Moab. Um, and then finally... Judah. I want you to know that we've covered everyone. If you look, you have Tyre, you have Syria, you have all of this taken. You have every neighbor. There's only one left. You feel this squeeze. Amos is squeezing in around them, and they would have known it. You feel this squeeze, and there's one left, and that's Israel. Israel's the only one left, and wouldn't you know it, in uh, 2 verse 6, Amos turns to Israel and does not turn back. Now, with this, I want to tell you where I'm going this morning. It's always weird to get started in a new book. It's like jumping in a pool. You've got to get acclimated a little bit. I'm going to do a 3-2-1 approach, okay? 3-2-1. I'm going to make three observations, two applications, and one expectation. That means nothing to you now, but I just want you to know, for those who are budgeting my time, three, two, one, uh, today. So I want to start first with observations, and I want to make one observation right up front. I want us to notice that each of the judgments are similar. Observation number one. You see the language in, in, your, in your text of every one of them, three and for four. What is that? Three and for four. Three, we have three transgressions and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. You have three and for four. Do you see it? We see it with every nation. Just so you don't think I'm lying. One, three, Damascus. One, six, Gaza. One, nine, Tyre. One, eleven, Edom. Uh, one, thirteen, the Ammonites. Two, one, Moab. Two, four, Judah. Two, six, Israel. Every one of them gets this same little formula. What does it mean? Now, I said I was going to give two baseball analogies. We've arrived at the second, okay? This is proof Amos was a baseball fan, God's a baseball fan, because this works perfect, okay? Um, now, when you think about baseball, how many strikes does it take to be out? Three. Batter, three strikes, you are out. You're completely out. You're all the way out at three strikes. Not a little bit, not almost. You're out, out at three strikes, Amos, it's like he's looking here and says, look, you're three strikes out. That's all the way out. But not only three, you got a fourth. Follow with me. It's, you're not just out. You're not just a little out. You're not just a close call out. You're all the way out. You're three strikes out. And then an added, unneeded strike is added on top of that. You're four strikes out. 
to show just how out you are. You're not just three, which you're out. You're four. You're three, not four. This shows the absolute totality of the judgment here on each of these nations. Now, I know baseball wasn't around back then. They were playing a sport like it, though, I'm sure, because this is perfect. There are three strikes, not just a little, all the way out, and four strikes. You're out. just shows how perfect God is in all his ways. His judgments are sure. They're perfect. And, and each one of them were all the way out. Not just three, but four. Okay? That's the first commonality here. Second observation that I, I want us to make on the flip side is each of the judgments are distinct. If we were to look at this, this is amazing to me because each nation that we read about has very, very specific condemnations and circumstances. Very specific. So if you read these, there's a good chance they're so specific that we don't even know what God's referring to. Right? We don't even know what the situation was. Sounds terrible. We don't know what it was. It was so specific, but here's the reality. They did. This was God speaking directly to a people, addressing who they were, what they were doing. This was a direct reference. They knew what God was talking about in each of these cases. In other words, God wasn't just issuing out here a standard blanket, you're all sinners, which is absolutely true. But he didn't do that. He, 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 Amos is specific. He calls out speci- specific things and, and circumstances in each of these cases. And each nation carries the weight and responsibility for their wrongs. And God calls them each directly for them. If you notice it, as you're reading this, it's it's just amazing how specific each one of these are. Um, Which leads me to the third observation. Notice, each judgment is a similar length, except for one. Except for one. Um, How many are visual people here? Okay, okay. A good amount. Well, I did this for you. Um, this, is a, this is kind of a crude representation of, of the weight of what we should feel when we come to Amos. Um, Amos, this represents, this represents the whole of Amos. All the chapters, all the book. There are nine chapters, and there is 146 verses in Amos. This line represents 146 verses of Amos. Um, the whole, all of the judgments that God makes, this line represents all of them, okay? Now, from this, God deals out three verses to Damascus, three verses to Gaza, two for Tyre, two for Edom, three for the Ammonites, three for Moab, two for Judah. Oh, roughly the same. They get the same amount. That's 18 verses. 18 verses fairly equally distributed among the first seven nations, leaving 128 verses to be focused dead set on Israel. That is uncomfortable. (laughs) That, That hurts. For the rest of our time, 
in, in this book together, Amos is going to shine the convicting light of truth, um, not just on them out there, but on them in here. Not just for those heathens out there, but for us in here. It's going to shine a light in here. Now, the reason I've bundled the first two chapters together is because Amos uses them as a bit of an introduction for us. He's, he's saying something here. He's setting the stage, and he is preparing Israel for the 128 verses of heart surgery he's about to do to them. This sets the stage for what God is about to do. Prepares, prepares us for what's coming. Now, this introduction gives us at least two important um, applications that we, need to, that we need to address right up front. The first is this. We have great hope and confidence. Now, you might hear that and think, well, I'm not seeing that. I've thumbed through Amos, and it is a lot of judgment. How, how is this a hopeful book? How are these first two chapters hopeful? God is bringing the heat on everyone. How is this hopeful? How does this bring confidence? But I, I want you to think about it like this. I have three boys. I love my boys. And um, it, I, it reminds me a bit of disciplining my boys. And when any of my boys get in trouble, they do exactly what I do. They do exactly what you did growing up, and they do exactly what you probably do right now. When any of them get in trouble and they get pulled over, pulled, not pulled over, hopefully that doesn't happen. <laughs> oh, that makes, I just got all sweaty and nervous for later. Um, not when they get pulled over, when they get pulled aside by their mom and dad. And uh, to deal with a specific issue, there's, there's something that happens each and every time. Each and every single time. You hear something like this, Dad, but my brothers are doing this. Dad, do you know what they're doing? Do you know what they're doing? Now, um, there's a part of this that's obvious. It's a, it's a way to deflect, you know, don't want to deal with the consequences, so they get them. Um, and, and, and yes, we all do that too. All of us do that. They got that from me, okay? Um, but there's a part of that that there's something deeper going on in their hearts, there's this deeper cry for justice. And when I discipline one of my boys and, and they're taking the fall, justice is being handed out. It needs to be fair. And it needs to be handed out to the ones who deserve it, right? There is a cry for justice. It, it's, if, if justice is being handed out, they better not, that better not go unnoticed. Did you see what he did? There is a cry for justice. What about them? Do you see them? What, what they're doing. Parents, have you been there? I couldn't help but think of that impulse here. And in Amos, it's like a parent coming to their child who is in trouble. And it's like God through Amos is saying, son, I know what your friends at school are doing. 
I, I know what your, your brothers are doing. And I'm going to take care of that. Now let's talk about you. For Israel, God says, look, I see them. I know you're surrounded by wickedness. I see them. My justice is not going to be missed here. I was very specific of what I've seen. I see them. And now I'm talking to you. And Amos, if we could have one attitude as we walk through this letter, if we could just keep one attitude front and center in our minds as we walk through this letter, it would be this. It would be the image of God looking you directly in the eye and saying, son, daughter, I see them. I've got my hands on that. Nothing is out of my control. I am sovereign. I will not miss it. There will be justice. I've got all of that. I see all of that. And here and now, I want to talk to you. That is the attitude that we have to come to Amos with. Not just them, but us. And I would argue that there is a great hope and confidence in that. And the reason why I say this is because knowing that my God is sovereign over all of that crazy stuff out there, that he's in control, that he is just, that he is sovereign, knowing that, knowing that all of that is in his hands and knowing that he sees them, what a hope and a confidence that is. He will not miss it. He will not miss it. Our world is crazy. And historically, that's not new. We've always been crazy, okay? We're crazy. And with all the craziness out there, our God has it. He always has. He always will. We hope and we trust in the fact that our God is sovereign over it all. And that gives us the ability to have such great hope and such great confidence. And it also leads us, church, painfully into the second application point. In our time together in Amos, it's like God is saying, son, daughter, I see all of that out there. I've got all of that. But here in this moment, let's talk about you, which leads to the second application point that I want us to have throughout the book of Amos. Holy Spirit, search our hearts. As we read this book, church, my prayer is that we read it with our hearts in mind, not our neighbor's hearts, not our friend's hearts, not our husband, wives, kids, the, the others out there, that, but that we read this book with our hearts in minds. I, I read a great summary uh, of this book in the ESV study notes. It just caught my eye. It was so good that I wanted to share it. I think I have it up here. I do. Um, so listen to this. The theme of Amos is the universal justice of God the Israelites clearly expected the day of the Lord when all their enemies would be judged. What they were not prepared for was the judgment of that day would fall on them as well. Far from enjoying a favored status, they would be held more accountable than their neighbors. Listen, I just want to put myself out there for a moment. As I come to Amos, it is, it is really easy to say yes and amen to all those heathens out there who need Jesus, bring the heat, bring the judgment, come on. That's easy. 
It's easy to say they don't even know you, God. They're going against you. So obviously our world's crazy. Edom, Gaza, Damascus, to use our text. Bring it. That's easy. It's also easy, I would argue, for me to look at other believers and other churches and, and to say, look, they're being boneheads in my view. Like, boneheads. Um, and, and yes and amen. God, would you bring the judgment? They've missed it. They're misrepresenting your name, Jesus. Bring it. That's easy for me. But what about me? What about us? It's like me with my boys. I'm just like my boys. And it's like God through his word in Amos is saying, look, I see them. I've got them. Let's talk about you. I don't want to be the ones that Jesus talks to in, in Matthew 7 when he says, you hypocrite, get the log out of your own eye before you start talking about the specks. And I pray that through this time that we would be quick to allow the Holy Spirit to examine our own hearts and that as we do that, brother and sister, as we do that, that we would know two things to be true. Number one, that God disciplines those he loves. Right. Don't forget that. Um, he disciplines his children. I'm gonna, I want to remind you of a passage of Scripture. It is so important to keep in mind each and every week of Amos. I will probably quote it a lot this fall, Okay. You're probably going to hear a lot about this, uh, this, this verse in Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. He says this, scripture says, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which we've all participated, then you are illegitimate children, not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as, they, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but it yield, later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God disciplines those he loves, and it is for our good and for his glory. And as the Holy Spirit searches our hearts and we feel that sting of conviction, that church is evidence that we are his. That it's evidence of his love as a good father for us. There will be some discipline that we face in this book. If you've read it already, you know. You know what's coming. Um, and church, that discipline is proof of his great love for us. We know that he disciplines those he loves. The second thing is, in this, we're going to see the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We are going to see it in Amos. And, and the good news is not that God just ignored and pushed sin under the rug. Our God could not be good if that's the way he handles sin and, and wickedness. The gospel says something completely different. 
The gospel says that Christ took our sin and punishment so that we can be forgiven and made new. In fact, I believe Romans, our time, a long time, in Romans prepared us well for Amos. Because in Romans, we talked about the truth that God's wrath will be poured out on sin. All of it. Because he's perfect and holy. And, and he's, never, he's perfect and he's never less than perfect. Never less than. Our God will deal with sin perfectly and completely. We see that in the intro of Amos. So the great question for us to ask and to answer is not whether or not there will be wrath poured out for sin. There will be. The question we answer, need to answer, is who is going to bear it? Will it be me? Will it be you? Or will it be Christ? That is the good news. The good news is, yes, we are sinners, but God, rich in mercy, abounding in love, demonstrated his great love for us while we were dead in our sin. Christ died for us. It's the great demonstration of love, taking our sin on his shoulders, punishment of our sin on his shoulders, all of it, he became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. We have all sinned and fall short. And the wages of that is death. And the gospel says Christ took your death and gave you his life. The reason I bring this up is because as gospel people, although it might not be the first thing we wake up in the morning wanting to do, as gospel people, we are not afraid of the discipline of our God. As gospel people, we know that as the Spirit examines our hearts and reveals sin, we know we are loved. Through Christ we are forgiven. We do not hide as gospel people. In the gospel, we come with our hearts open as the Spirit searches our hearts. And, and here we know that Christ is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that Christ is the just justifier. So in Amos, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. As we look forward, um, this is going to cause us to look inward. Uh, this is going to cause us to confess our own sin, to deal with the sin of our own hearts, not just theirs, ours. This is not the most seeker-sensitive book I, that we could preach through. <laughs> I fully realize that. Um, but we must preach this book. Because in the midst of this, we can know the true beauty of the gospel, to know forgiveness and grace, to not ignore sin, but to come to him knowing he's faithful and just. That's what Amos is going to cause us to do. Um, now, it leads to the final point. I said three, two, one. Three observations, two applications, one expectation. This one is, uh, this is really important. Um, expectation number one. We look forward to the restoration in Christ. Um, now, you hear all of this and, and you say, okay, I see all of this condemnation as I thumb through Amos. 
and, and I see that this is going to happen, judgment. I don't see a lot of like grace in this letter, for example. What do we do with that? And um, how, pastor, can you say that this reminds, should remind us of the gospel? I'm glad you asked that. Um, Amos is one letter. It's written as one letter, one message, one book. And if you were to sit down and read this book in its entirety, or maybe your audio, I love listening to the Bible. It's become kind of my thing lately. Um, maybe you've listened to this book. But if you listen to all of it all together, you're going to notice something, and it's something that I cannot miss, and it's something that we cannot miss any week of, this, of the fall. We are going to preach this book, walk through this book, church, in light of the conclusion of this book. Okay? Um, if you flip to the right, to the very end of Amos, chapter 9, last five verses, 11 through 15, you're going to notice that Amos ends with a promise of expectation. You're going to look at this and see that one day there is going to be restoration. There's going to be peace, shalom. One day the booth of David, Amos says, that has fallen will be raised up. So church, long ago, Amos points the Israelites forward to the promised Messiah. Amos ends with the promise of restoration through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. For the people of Israel, they are pointed forward. For you and, uh, you and I, we are both pointed backward and forward. We are pointed backward to the completed work of Christ who came, lived the life you could not live, died the death that you deserved, and gave you life eternally. We, we are pointed back. We look back to the grace of God in that. And we look forward to the second coming. We look backwards and we look forward. We look forward to that day when he will bring final restoration. When there's no more pain, there's no more sickness, there's no more sorrow, there's no more war, there's no more conflict, there's no more strife, there's no more cancer. None of it. We look forward to that day. We look backwards and we look forward. So each week we are going to preach this book, we are going to walk through this book in light of the conclusion of this book. To say it a different way, we are going to preach this book in light of the gospel. The restoration that we cling to in Christ. Amen. Church, we have an incredible journey ahead in this book. This is only the beginning, only the intro, and I cannot wait for what God has in store. And I pray, there's this saying, God, would you comfort the afflicted? and afflict the comfortable. In Amos, I think both of those things are going to happen. But our God is good. He's gracious. And he is perfect in love. And I pray that we would be formed more into the image of Christ through this time. 